Thank you guys for being with us. Um, exciting day. I love, I do love Easter. Um, there is, I, I grew up Baptist and I did not grow up in churches who, who did this, but there is a part of many church traditions um, on Easter. You say, he is risen. And then the response is, he is risen yes, I love that. I love that. It's just a great way for us to celebrate what this day is all about. And so uh, I will say that probably several times this morning as we're going through. It'll be a test to see if you're actually awake or not. Um, not really. Uh, but it is a great way for us to celebrate uh, this day and what we are, are here for. So one more practice run. He is risen. He is risen Amen. Y'all are beautiful. Um, every year we do a, a Good Friday service, and uh, when we do a Good Friday service at New City, it is very solemn, and we talk about all the things that uh, happened to Jesus, um, starting on that Thursday, his arrest and trials, crucifixion on, on Friday, and I was telling uh, someone this week how hard that sermon is uh, to do because it ends just so tragically. Uh, Jesus is beaten and bloodied and murdered um, and, and, and alone in the tomb, and we just end there. And so Good Friday is always incredibly hard and weighty uh, for me as I'm preaching it. But thankfully, uh, that's not where the story ends, right? The story doesn't end there. We know that on the third day, Jesus was raised from death. That's not figurative. That is not metaphorical. That is not symbolic. It is, it is literal. It is physical. Jesus was dead, and on the third day, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the hand of God, Jesus was raised from death, um, and that's what we celebrate today. Uh, so I, I want us to pray and then talk about, um, about this day. Uh, I, I want to do three things. I want to answer three questions. What is the good news on Easter? What does this good news mean for us as Christians, followers of Christ? And then the last one is, what is the reason for believing in Easter? So that's where we're headed. We'll go through those pretty quick. Before we do, I want us to pray together. And if you're visiting, I ask every week if, if our New City people, if you guys, congregation, would pray with me. It's a beautiful thing that we can all come together to God in prayer. He hears all of our prayers. And so let's pray together that the Holy Spirit would be especially good to us, to fill us with joy over what this day means and why it is such an incredible, incredible day. And pray with me as well for, uh, for those who might be here as doubters and skeptics and unbelievers, but you're here and that is a, an amazing thing. So we want to pray for you as well that the Holy Spirit would be, would be good to point you to the truth and the beauty of the resurrection. So would you guys pray with me? Yeah, well, thank you, all five of you. <laughs> the Lord will hear us. I'm joking. Let's pray together. Father, you are good and gracious. It truly is a, a gift that we can come together in prayer and that you, you hear our prayers and you hear my prayer and the prayer of everybody else in this room. And Father, I, I, I believe that you answer our prayers. I, I believe the things that we are praying for this morning are things that you desire for us, that, that, that your Holy Spirit would be, 
would be great in our midst, that, that your Holy Spirit would be powerful here with us, that you would, through your word, through this day and the truth of this day, um, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would encourage our hearts, that you would fill us as believers with, with joy for the reason that we celebrate this day and all that it means to us. And we pray as well, Holy Spirit, that, that you would bring um, beauty and light to the doubter and the skeptic and the unbeliever and, and that Jesus would be greatly honored and glorified this morning as we continue to praise his name. Thank you for your goodness to us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's where I want to start. What is the good news on Easter and talking specifically about the good news of the gospel and this day, Easter? So I'm going to read this morning from two places for those of you who want to follow along in your Bible. Uh, one is 1 Corinthians 15. I'll hit some verses there. Uh, it's a great chapter, so we won't talk about all of the verses, but I would encourage you um, today or someday soon to read those verses and think about the resurrection. The other is John chapter 20, one of my favorite chapters in, in all of the Bible. I think I say that about every chapter I read every week, but um, it's true. They're all my favorite. So what is the good news on Easter? Um, and I want to read uh, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now, let me pause right there. That word gospel means good news. Um, and the good news, Paul is saying, the good news is what I proclaimed to you, 1 Corinthians, when, when I was with you in Corinth. It is, it is the good news that you received, and it's the good news in which your entire faith now stands. The good news that I proclaimed is what you should be rooted in. Paul is encouraging those in Corinth. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, the good news, verse 4, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul describes the gospel here in its, in its most basic and simple terms, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I just want to walk through those, right? The life of Jesus. Jesus, the, the second person in our triune God, eternally, um, second person in our triune God, Jesus took on flesh, born uh, of, of a human born a baby. Jesus took on the flesh of humanity. He lived the perfect life that you and I were meant to live, but we have all failed to live. Perfectly holy and righteous, perfectly following uh, God the Father. Jesus lived that life on our behalf. And what I mean by that is he did that for us. What, what we have not done, Jesus did on our behalf. He lived righteous and holy, sinless, the life that we were meant to live. The life that Adam failed to live, the life that every human being has failed to live other than Jesus since then, the life that you and I continue to fail to live. Jesus lived the life that we have not. 
death. Right? Life, death, and resurrection. We talked about this on Good Friday. Jesus died the death that we all deserve. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is what? Death. And who has sinned? All. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And we, we, every one of us, have sinned. Jesus willingly suffered the very wrath of God that should have been poured out on us as sinners, right? He bore our sins, taking them to the cross, substituting himself for us. He went instead of us. He took the punishment that should have been ours. Jesus died in our place. Life, death, resurrection. Paul said um, that, that he was buried on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and in fulfillment of the prophecies about the coming Messiah. On the third day, Jesus was raised from the dead. That's why we celebrate Easter today. So the good news, the good news is that through his life, death, and his resurrection, Jesus has made a way to take away the sins of God's people and bring them to God, to reconcile broken and fallen humanity to our Creator and our Father, God. When we believe that good news, right, that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus makes a way for, for us. When we believe that, what I mean by believe is trust. Not, not believe in the sense that we acknowledge it, but believe in the sense that we trust it. It's not our good works. It's not our righteousness. There's absolutely nothing that we can do to overcome our sin. Beautiful news. Jesus has done all of it for us, and we cling with hope and confidence in that truth that Jesus has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection what we could not do. That, that, that when we believe in him, right, this is that faith, our sins are forgiven. The righteousness that was his is granted to us by grace, right? It's a free gift to us. God looks at us now because of Jesus, and he sees us as the very righteousness of Jesus himself. And because of Jesus, because of his resurrection, uh, as he was raised to a newness of life, we are also raised to a newness of life. We have been raised with him, victorious over death, victorious over sin, victorious over Satan, just as Jesus was. This is the gospel. It's not about going to church. It's not about, it's not about how good we are or when we mess up or we don't. It is all about Jesus and the beautiful news of his life, death, and resurrection. Again, God has done for us in and through Jesus what we could never do for ourselves. He has saved us. We cannot save ourselves. This is the good news that Paul says is of first importance importance. And the summary of the good news, right, is not just the, the life and death of Jesus, right, like Jesus died for my sins. It's a very basic understanding of the gospel. Jesus died for my sins. He did, but he did so much more, right? His life is the life that God had, had meant for you. His life is a life of perfection and righteousness and holiness that, that should be yours. The righteousness that is required to be with God. He lived for you and you are given that righteousness as a gift. 
So it's not just that he died for our sins, it's that he lived for our righteousness. He died for our sins, and he was raised to give us victory over death and sin and Satan, and to be with our Father forever and ever and ever. Now I want you to hear me. Without the resurrection, there is no good news. So if you're here this morning and you think, well, I I believe that Jesus was a good guy. I believe that he was a prophet. I believe that he was a good example. um, But I don't believe in the resurrection. I am telling you there is no good news apart from the resurrection. Apart from the resurrection, Jesus was a failed liar who made all sorts of claims about being one with God, being the Savior, being the Messiah, and, and, and could not come through on any of them. The good news of Easter is that our king is risen. Amen? That leads to the second question, right? So that's the good news of Easter. That's why today should be a day filled with so much joy and happiness. Our king is risen. So the second question then, what does this this good news mean for Christians? What what does that mean for us? It, it, It means far more than I could ever go through in our short time together this morning. But I want to give you a few things, and most of them will come from uh, 1 Corinthians 15 as well. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 13, Paul is talking or writing to the Corinthians about the resurrection. The reason he's writing to them is because there are those in the church who don't believe that, that, that believers, for us, there is a resurrection. In fact, there were some in the church that, like many today, believe that Jesus was a good guy and a prophet, but he wasn't actually raised from the dead. And so Paul is, is sort of arguing with them in this letter. In verse 13, he says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If there is no resurrection, your faith is in vain. But what Paul is arguing is because there was a resurrection, your faith is not in vain. Because there was a resurrection, our faith is not in vain. Our faith hinges on this day. If Jesus is dead, uh, then sin and death conquered Jesus. Jesus is no conquering king if Jesus is dead. If Jesus is dead, we have no reason to have faith in him. What can his promises mean to us? They mean absolutely nothing. Even if he was a good man or a prophet, if he is dead, his promises are meaningless. He could not come through. If Jesus is dead, then Jesus, Jesus cannot be the way. If Jesus is dead, I've already said he was a liar. If Jesus is dead, he is not the truth. If Jesus is dead, he, he, he is not the way, he is not the truth, he is not the life. If Jesus is dead, he is not the bread of life. If Jesus is dead, he is not the living water, he is not the son of God, he is not one with God, he is not the savior, he is not the king. If he is dead... We have no reason to believe in him. But he is not dead. (laughs) He is risen. Amen. Because there was a resurrection, my faith is not in vain. It is instead fruitful and profitable. It is right and it is true. Now, in that verse, verse 14, Paul said that there were two things. If Christ is not risen, then your faith is in vain, and you are still in your sins. If Christ is dead, you are still in your sins. But because of the resurrection, my sins are forgiven. 
Because of the resurrection, my sins are forgiven. If Jesus is not risen, then death, which is the wage for sin, defeated Jesus. And here's what that means. It will defeat me as well. If Jesus did not defeat sin, then I am trapped in my sins. I'm trapped in the sins that I live in every single day. And I'm trapped in my sins forevermore because sin defeated Jesus. But the Bible says that when Jesus went to the cross, he bore our sins. He took our sins with him to the cross. He suffered the death not associated with with his own payment of sin because he was sinless. He went to the cross bearing our sins and he paid the debt that we owed for sins. He bore our sins and they were nailed with him to that cross. He took our sins away from us and in the resurrection he defeated every one of them. Man, that is good news. And this isn't, right, sometimes we think of of theology as out there. He defeated sin, whatever that is. Listen to me. He defeated your sin. He defeated your personal sins. He defeated the things that you have done. He defeated the things that you struggle and continue to wrestle with. Jesus defeated them. The things that you will do, let me tell you, our king has already defeated them. Because of the resurrection, my faith is not in vain. My sins are forgiven. And I am no fool to be pitied. I am no fool to be pitied. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. I think what Paul has in mind in in this verse is that the real promise for us as Christians is not your best life now. This, This is not our best life now. In fact, I would say as Christians, this is our worst life. Right? The, 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 the promise of, of following Christ isn't that your life gets better while you're here. The promise of following Christ is that one day he is coming back and you live for the kingdom that will be. One day he is coming back and when he does, he will defeat all of his enemies. One day he is coming back and when he does, he will fix all that is broken. We live for the kingdom to come. Now here's the thing that Paul is saying. If Jesus is not raised from the dead and we are living for the kingdom to come rather than getting as much as we can out of this life, rather than eating and drinking and being merry, rather than, than, than living by he who has the most toys wins, right? If we are not living in the ways of the world and there is no resurrection, then what a pity our life is, how wasted it would be. But he is raised from the dead. That's what Paul is saying. He, he, he is raised from the dead. And, and, and what that means is that our life is not to be pitied. What that means is his kingdom is coming. Our lives are not wasted. Because of the resurrection, our life of pursuing Christ and his life with, with, with a hope set on the promises that he has made to us is good and right. Ours is not a life to be pitied. In fact, the truth is because of the resurrection, the life to be pitied in the end is the life spent wasted on eating and drinking and being merry rather than pursuing Jesus.
because of the resurrection, my faith is not in vain. My, my sins are, are forgiven. And I am no fool to be pitied. Listen, the world will try to convince you that you are a fool to be pitied for following Jesus. The world will try to convince you that there are greater pleasures than him. Paul says there aren't. And ours is not a life to be pitied. Finally, this one, I have an incredible hope. Because of the resurrection, I have an incredible hope. Verse 20 in 1 Corinthians 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Skip down to verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of, of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead, defeating death, we will be raised with him. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up in the victory of Jesus. Death has no victory over us. We mourn, Paul would say, when we lose someone. But, but we don't mourn like everyone else as though we have no hope. We have a hope because death has no victory. The sting is taken away. Death has been defeated. The dead in Christ will be raised. And when the end comes, those who are still living will join him. In the twinkling of an eye, Paul says, we will all be changed. We will all be what we were meant to be. And we will all be in his presence. Redeemed and restored. And in his presence, the Bible tells us there is fullness of joy. In his presence, there is fullness of joy and there is joy unending. There will be in that day no more pain, no more pain for all the days that follow. No more suffering, no more injustice, no more hurt, no more sadness. And everything that has been broken by sin and the fall, he will fix. And for those who trust in this good news, who believe in, in, in his life and death and resurrection, we will forevermore enjoy him. This, Paul says, because of the resurrection is our sure and certain future. This, Paul says, is our hope. And when the Bible talks about hope, the Bible is talking about a confident expectation. This is our confident expectation. Not because we have been good, but because Jesus, who was perfect, who lived the life that we can't, died the death that we deserve, was raised on the third day, defeating death and sin and Satan. This is our confident 
expectation because our king has won. There are so many more things that we could talk about, right? Because of the resurrection, our faith is fruitful and good. Our sins are forgiven. Our lives are are not to be pitied. We have this incredible, incredible hope for our future. We could add to that because of the resurrection, we have the Holy Spirit. After his resurrection, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to to his people, to his followers. Only a risen king could do that. Dead Jesus could never send the Holy Spirit. The risen king sent his Holy Spirit to be with us. And his Holy Spirit now seals us as his. We are marked as his. We are protected as his. He indwells us. He empowers us. He gifts us. He gives us all that we need for the life that he has called us to. The Holy Spirit is, is God, the third person in the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God with us. And that means because our risen King has sent Him, we are never alone. God never leaves His people alone. We are, we are never alone. We are never forsaken. He is with us today and He is with us forevermore. And all of that is because of the resurrection of Jesus. We'll stop there. We could keep going. The resurrection of Jesus is incredible news that that should bring amazing, overflowing joy to us as Christians. It's a day that we should celebrate greatly. But it does leave us with a question, especially for doubters and skeptics, but one that I think even as Christians we should ask, why should we believe this? Why, why should we believe this? What is the reason for believing in Easter and the resurrection? And when I talk about reason here, what I mean is, is, is why do I reasonably, logically believe that the resurrection actually took place? What is the logic behind believing that Jesus was raised from the dead? Some would say that, that our faith is foolish because so much hinges on this day. And, and, and it is foolish. It's foolish to believe the things that we talk about. The Holy Spirit, the, the future kingdom of God, Jesus coming back and, and fixing things and no pain and no suffering, forgiveness. All of that hinging on this day. And, and that is foolish because how many of you have seen on the news anything about an actual resurrection? No hands. And so at first glance, when we, when we think of it that way, we have to say this does seem kind of foolish. But, but, but I want to show you why it's not foolish at all. Tim Keller addressed this um, once, and, and I loved his approach, and so I'm borrowing some from him. Um, he entered into it with this. What, what would you do, right, if you are... If you are thinking about this, what, what would you do if you received some news, maybe, maybe an email, maybe a letter, but, but you received word about a relative dying and, and, and leaving you a large inheritance? Now, I'm not talking about a Nigerian prince email. Right? I'm talking about an actual relative, maybe that, a name that you have heard before. But you, you, you get this email, and it's someone who is distant from you, and it says that you have, 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 have been given, left this huge sum of money. 
Now, you, you laughed about the Nigerian thing. All of us would probably be super skeptical, right? Our first thought would be, this is a scam. Because how many times have we heard and found it to be true that if it's too good to be true, it, it probably is <laughs> too good to be true, right? And so we would be skeptical of that. But listen, I don't know about you, I, I would at least do a Google search, right? I mean, I am at least going to have to make one phone call or respond to the email and see what happens next. What, what I'm saying is, though we might be skeptical, we would at least take the step of looking to see if there is any reason that we should pursue this. We, we would do something to figure out what is true. So I am sharing this morning to, to encourage doubters to, to do something other than doubt. I, I, I want to encourage you to do something other than be skeptical. I want to encourage you to at least take some small steps to consider whether it is reasonable to believe that there might have been a resurrection or that there was. And if you're here as a believer, then I want to remind you why, you're, why your faith is reasonable. And I, and I want to encourage you in, in, the, in the reasonableness of your faith. I, I really want you to be filled with joy this morning at why we celebrate this day. So let's, let, let's start with the first Easter, John chapter 20. This is after the, the Passover, after the crucifixion, um, after Jesus was buried. Verse 1, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Verse 6, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. So let's stop right there for now. Again, I give, got to give credit here to Keller on this first one. Um, Mary comes to the tomb. And the tomb is empty. She gets there. The stone has been rolled away. The tomb is, is empty. She goes and tells the disciples, someone has come and stolen Jesus' body. Two of the disciples get up really quickly. Um, the disciple with Peter, we believe, is John. So Peter and John run to the tomb. John gets there first, and John looks into the tomb. He doesn't go in. He looks into the tomb, and he sees Right, we read, he saw the burial cloth and the face cloth there. Peter gets there, and Peter doesn't slow down. He just runs right into the tomb. And, and verse 6 says that he saw the burial cloth and faith, face cloth folded up in its place. They both saw, but amazingly here, John uses a different word for each of them. 
So, so, so John gets there and he just looks in and sees. Peter gets there and he rushes in and he looks. But the word that, that is used there is the word that we get theorize from. And so he went in and he didn't just glance at it and say, oh, there's no body here. He took a minute and he reasoned based on what he saw. Peter took a minute and he theorized. He was trying to take in all the information and figure out what in the world happened here. Here's why I love this. We should do the same thing. We should take a minute to look at at, at what was there and, and, and theorize over what we see. So there were there were other theories about what happened to Jesus, and there have been throughout history. Uh, one of those theories was that the disciples actually are the ones who came and took Jesus' body. Now, if that were true, that some of the disciples came and they took Jesus' body away, when, when they got there, these disciples got there and they looked in, clearly uh, the testimony is that the burial cloth was there and the face cloth was there as well. Now, if Jesus' disciples had taken his body out of the tomb, they would never have removed him naked. They would have left him wrapped in that, in that cloth because to do otherwise would have been a terrible dishonor to Jesus. They would never have stripped him naked and left the cloths there. There's another theory, and that is that grave robbers took the body. That grave robbers came and they took the body. It was common then. But, but we would say the same thing, right? The, the cloth that Jesus was wrapped in would have been soaked in expensive spices, it, it, they would not have left the burial cloth there. They would, have, they would have taken the burial cloth with them because his body had no value. What had value was what was on his body. So it makes absolutely no sense that grave robbers would have taken Jesus' body. We know it wasn't the Roman soldiers, right? Another theory, why in the world would they seal the tomb and put guards there and say, hey, guard this tomb, don't let anybody remove the body, and then they remove the body. I mean, that makes no sense at all. They wanted Jesus in that tomb, and they wanted his body to rot there. The evidence at the scene lends itself to a resurrection. In fact, it's the only thing that makes sense. Now look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and, that he had, and, and the things that he had said to her. 
Now, listen, in that culture, a woman's testimony meant absolutely nothing. Nothing. Women had very little value in that culture. Very, very. They they certainly had no place in general, no place of authority. And yet, yet here Jesus appears to Mary. Here in John's account of what happened, it it, it is Mary that Jesus appeared first to. The first person tasked with telling others about the resurrection of Jesus is Mary, a woman. Now, we can look at this, and and, and maybe rightly we should look at it and and know and understand the the beautiful place that women held in, in, in his ministry and in the kingdom of God. But more than that, When we look at this, we should believe the story. Here's why. I would say that that Mary is the best worst witness. She is the best worst witness. If the disciples were making this story up in order to promote their new religion or this cult that they were planning to make some money off of, they would never have put Mary in this role. If, if they wanted to fabricate a lie, they would have put a man in this role. And it wouldn't have been one of them, probably. It would have been someone with power and prominence. Not, not Mary, not Mary Magdalene, who, who everyone in the area knew she had been demon-possessed. Not Mary Magdalene, who, who, who was a woman and already had a terrible reputation. The reason... The reason Mary is in this place in the story is because this story is true. Mary was the the, the one that Jesus first revealed himself to after the resurrection. There's Thomas and the doubting disciples. John tells us in his gospel that on the same day that that Jesus had appeared to Mary, he appeared to the disciples, and it was the disciples minus Thomas. Eight days later, Jesus would come again to the disciples, and this time Thomas was with them, doubting Thomas. Thomas did not believe the report of Mary or the report of John or Peter or any of the disciples that Jesus had had appeared to. He did not believe. He would not believe until he touched the holes left by the nails in Jesus' hand. Show me that. Let me touch that, Thomas said. Then I'll believe. And he did. And Thomas became a believer. There's the testimony, not of one or two or twelve, but but hundreds of. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, as he's, as he's arguing with the, the people of Corinth, as he's saying, look, look, this, this is true. The resurrection did happen, and, and this is how important the resurrection is. As he's writing to them in verse 5, he says that, that Jesus appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, Paul says, he appeared to me. And when Paul was writing this letter, arguing uh, with the Corinthians, arguing for the resurrection, he said, listen, guys, this is a well-known thing. This is a, a, a historical fact for us. It is well-known. Ask around. 
Ask around and you will hear of the people who were there who saw the resurrected Jesus. First he appeared to to Cephas and, and to the disciples and to James and to all the apostles. And he appeared to me and he appeared to 500 brothers. Who knows how many women and children might have been there with them. To 500, find one of them and ask them, he said. Most of them are still alive. Witnesses. I think one of the most impressive things to me that speaks to the truth of the resurrection is the changed lives of the disciples. The changed lives of the disciples. Think about their lives as disciples. These were the men who had hidden when Jesus was arrested. Peter denying him. I don't know that guy. Even cursing him. They, they ran, they hid, they denied, they cursed, and now they are publicly proclaiming Jesus is the risen King. Publicly, they are declaring that this is the Messiah, the one promised in the Old Testament from, from all of the scriptures and all of the prophets. They all point to Jesus. And they proclaim this even in the face of, of, of imprisonment and beatings and death. They were so changed by what they witnessed that they were, they were willing to suffer and die. Going to their very graves saying that Jesus is the promised one. The reason, the reason that they were willing to suffer and to die was because it's true. The reason that they were willing, their lives were completely changed. Everything about their lives changed. They they, they could have gone back to fishing. They could have said, well, I guess we were foolish. The reason their lives were changed is because the resurrection is true. You don't go from from hiding to that just because you agreed on some made-up story. Their transformed lives make our faith a reasonable belief. We have reason to believe. Reason to believe the resurrection. And if we have reason to believe the resurrection, listen to me, this is what Paul was arguing in 1 Corinthians 15. If we have reason to believe the resurrection, then we have reason to believe every promise of God. And we can echo with Paul that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. So three quick applications. I promise I'll be quick. If you have made your way here today and you have never believed the good news of of the gospel, believe the good news today. What a great day to to come to believe in Jesus. Uh, Believe the good news. Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection saves broken sinners like you and me. Believe that. Believe that Jesus has done for you what you can never do for yourself. You can never clean yourself up enough. You can never tip the scales in your favor. You can never do that. But but the good news is you don't have to because Jesus has done it for you. Believe it. He has defeated death. He has defeated sin. He has defeated Satan. Jesus saves. He not only died for you, but today he lives so that you might live forevermore with him as a child of God. And if you are here and you are still a skeptic and you are still a doubter, at least dig deeper. Because all I've done is scratch the surface. Dig deeper into the reason behind our faith. 
Here's the second thing. If you have believed the good news of the gospel and you are here today as a believer, my goodness, be happy. Right? What an incredible day that we have to celebrate. Because of the resurrection, your faith is not in vain. Because of the resurrection, your sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. You almost not be as sinful as me. Because of the resurrection, you are no fool to be pitied. Because of the resurrection, you have an incredible future ahead of you. You have reason to celebrate today. And, and lastly is this, if you have believed this gospel and you are here this morning, I want to leave you with Paul's conclusion in 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection, Paul has argued, is, is real. So he says, be steadfast in your faith. Be steadfast in your faith, Jesus lives. Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, because of the gospel that I have just gone through for 57 verses with you, Paul says, because of the resurrection that I've just shown you makes complete reasonable sense and is true. Because, Paul says, of all that is yours in Jesus Christ, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What Paul is saying in summary is live like today is true. That's really what he's saying. Live like you believe the resurrection. He is risen. He is risen. One more. He is risen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for, um, gosh, your word. Thank you that we have the testimony of, of Paul and the apostles, and we have the testimony of the disciples, and we have them pointing to 500 men who at one time witnessed Jesus alive. Father, I pray, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be good, not just today, but in the days to come to remind us of, of, of why we should be filled with joy and to remind us that our, our faith is reasonable, to remind us that because of the resurrection, our sins are forgiven. Because of the resurrection, we have this incredible and sure, certain future because of the resurrection all of your promises find their yes in Jesus. Remind us again and again of the truth and the beauty of the resurrection. Father, I pray if there, if there is one here today, a skeptic, a doubter, an unbeliever, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be relentless, relentless to stir, to stir, to dig deeper, to know more. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict, convict of sin and convict of righteousness just as you, as you said that you would. Bring, bring another lost and broken, straying person to God. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray together. Amen.